Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining the Society for Clinical Research Sites for SCRS Talks. My name is Mike Jay. I'm the Director of Special Projects. And what we do here at SCRS Talks is we have a global impact partner take a few minutes to address some issues of industry concern. In this installment, we're going to have Dr. Irfan Khan from, from Circuit Clinical talk a few minutes about the impact, the psychological impact of COVID-19 on subjects that are not COVID positive. So before we get started, um, Dr. Khan, would you introduce yourself and tell us what you do and what Circuit Clinical does before we get started? Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, quickly. Circuit Clinical is an integrated research organization. We bring clinical trials into uh, doctor's offices to make it easier for patients to participate. And we streamline that process with a uh, digital engagement platform called Trial Scout. Uh, and the goal there is to simplify the journey and the support that a patient receives as they think about choosing research as a care option. So our goal in general is to make it easier for people to find, choose, and participate in clinical trials. And you're the CEO and you also are an investigator, right? That's correct. I came out of uh, uh, Cleveland uh, many years ago uh, and have been uh, running a uh, private practice cardiac electrophysiology program. Uh, and in that program, had the opportunity to bring clinical trials, both diagnostic and therapeutic, uh, to not just my practice, but to that broader community, which is where the idea of bringing clinical trials to more patients and more doctors uh, really took root. Okay. All right. Well, let's get started. Well, um, amidst these interesting times in the age of, age of COVID-19, we know that this has already affected sites, CROs, and sponsors, and it's not over yet, and we don't know the long-term impact from the disruption. What we do know is that all stakeholders are, re are repositioning, trial continuity is front and center, and sites are focused on site and study sustainability through retention efforts and are quickly adopting decentralized methods. So our first question is how has Circuit pivoted during COVID-19 with its research sites? I think the first phase of that pivot was really asking ourselves, where can we add value? Where can we be of service when the greatest public health crisis of our generation is unfolding right in front of us? We're based in upstate New York. Uh, we're a hot zone. We've been one through, through this uh, whole window uh, as New York State was hit pretty hard. And the way circuit is structured was, was decentralized pretty much from its inception. The idea that we would bring research to uh, physician practices that had never done research before, and we'd operationalize them by giving them support tools. Not a new idea. You know, our friend Jeff Kingsley over at IAC has been doing it for a long time. Uh, you know, we've seen other versions on this theme in the last couple of years. Our good friends over at, uh, at Javara have done a great job as well, really going into health systems and talking about this. So really an idea that had come of age to say, could we turn the healthcare experience into a research care experience? Um, mm -hmm. and, and having spent five years working on that, and being trusted by large academic partners, by being trusted with uh, the, the research care for very large and very small medical groups, we were well positioned to take both our data layer and our in trial scout and, uh, and our engagement layer in, uh, in the room and say, can we be helpful for COVID-19? And it turned out very quickly that uh, both sponsors um, and diagnostics companies approached us and said, you know, you're in a hot zone. Um, you know, we'd like to get some, some, some work done to develop new therapeutics and new diagnostics. Um, are you able to provide that service? And so we found very quickly that although the broader clinical trial uh, math had uh, gone on pause while, while sponsors and CROs regrouped to figure out how do we deliver this research care, how do we engage these patients, 
um, there was a whole new uh, bubble forming as people decided to, to look for the vaccines, look for the therapeutics, and create the diagnostics that could really help us fight this, this great public health challenge. And what does the clinical trial side of the future look like to you? I think that it will be, its hallmark will be a focus on choice and flexibility. And I like to think of it as almost a, a two-sided equation in which we know that, that sponsors will have learned their lesson from, from, the, from the disruption caused by, uh, by COVID-19. We hear it in, in the great webinars that are going on. Certainly, Circuit is fortunate to have absolute uh, industry experts on our board of directors, both Craig Lipset, Pfizer's former head of innovation, Jackie Kent, Medi Data Solutions' is, uh, EVP of product, guiding our thinking in this. And so we hear from people who really have a career's worth of wisdom and insights into this. And I think sponsors are going to want choice and flexibility when they go into study design going forward. They may want to stick with the traditional, if people are fine coming into the office, that's the business we know, we understand how the sites work, let's keep that as uh, the, the core operating paradigm. But they're going to want choice as well. And um, they're going to want the ability to say, we need to put these three visits um, uh, uh, online. We need to make these televisits or decentralized, fully decentralized, virtual, essentially. And the great news is there are terrific um, uh, platforms out there that do that. And so I think it's this combination of the sponsor wanting the ability to, to run the game the way they know how to run it, but also to have the flexibility to pivot into these other opportunities. That's one side of the equation. The yeah. other side of the equation the part that gets less conversation is really, how about the participants? The, the reality of choosing a clinical trial has changed dramatically, especially given what's on people's minds after uh, three months of, of complete disruption. And so I think there's going to need, the site is going to need to be able to offer the patient similar flexibility. Here's a trial we're doing. Here are the options where we, our sponsor for this trial is providing. And we want feedback from you, and we want to engage you in a way that makes sense and says that we can provide you with that flexibility, that if, if these three visits are just better off not being uh, in the office but, but uh, better as virtual, we're enabled to do that. And I think what we're watching right now is, is um, the site community figure out what is our approach to being able to provide tele, uh, virtual visits, uh, versus what is our engagement with sponsors and CROs uh, to meet their demands for that choice and flexibility, too. Okay. Now, tell us about the theory of black swans and white swans, and how does it transform sites into anti-fragile? Okay, so, so we'll have to, we'll spend a little time talking about an author, uh, uh, Nassim Taleb, uh, who, who wrote a wonderful book. Uh, I used to, when I, when I talked to uh, doctors in, uh, in, my, in my last life, I, I would have it as required reading for physicians in training. Uh, and The Black Swan is a book that looks at how we think the world has very predictable risk models. We think of it as a Gauss curve, that nice bell-shaped curve. And yet we live in a world that's actually quite non-Gaussian, that, uh, that strange, unpredictable things happen, and, and their unpredictability uh, is the only thing we can count on. Um, so we tend to think that the worst thing that can happen in the world is the last worst thing that happened, right? So in this case, we tend to look at uh, a pandemic and think, oh, SARS, that was terrible. But fortunately, it was, it was, uh, we did a good job containing it, and it was highly localized, and we just be ready for that next SARS. Well, COVID actually is SARS-2. It literally, it's, it's, its uh, virologic name is, is SARS-CoV-2, because mm -hmm. it's another coronavirus, yet it is dramatically different than the last SARS expedi uh, um, uh, pandemic. And the reason is because of the change in the virus, puts, the, uh, puts it higher in the nasopharynx, it can blow off more virus, it's more contagious. So black swans 
by definition, aren't easily predictable. And if you look and do a Google search, you, if you Google you know, COVID and black swan, you'll see lots of people have written about this. And it's interesting to read what uh, Nassim Taleb himself has to say about it, that he does not think COVID is a black swan. He thinks of it very much as if it was a white swan. And the metaphor comes from the idea that before we discovered Australia, there were no black swans. You know, the, 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 it was when in discovering Australia, we found that there could be a swan that happened to have black feathers instead of white. So it's the new unexpected thing that could exist that we couldn't even imagine did exist. But Taleb's point is that, that COVID-19 is a white swan. We absolutely knew this pandemic could happen. Right. Briefings yeah. on it, who was working on it. And we are acting like, boy, we, we just couldn't possibly know this. Um, and and that, that is influencing um, how we are responding to it. So the idea of anti-fragile is another one of his key concepts, which is that systems that can be made stronger through challenge and disruption um, are the kinds of things that do well in these, in, these, um, in these big disruptive spaces. So the site community is going to need to develop some anti-fragility. It's going to need to, to develop the ability to uh, absorb the shock of something like COVID-19 and emerge stronger for it. And, and the really great sites are already working on these tools that, that, that result in them being anti-fragile. And they include things like quickly pivoting to adding a telehealth or a virtual visit component to it, adopting that technology rather than seeing it as a threat. And I think that that's really this idea of anti-fragility is that if you put systems and processes in place, then you're in a situation where if something disruptive happens, you're able to quickly absorb the impact and actually provide a solution that people want. And in providing that solution, you suddenly think that this, oh, this is going to destroy our, our, our business model and it's going to be terrible for us. And instead, there's a growth opportunity there. And, and, and Circuit itself is a nice example of that, that uh, probably February, we were a little uh, concerned about the impact on business and the impact on the viability and the ability to keep our whole team together. Um, but because we had done some decentral, decentralized work earlier and because we layer a digital platform in, uh, on top of that with Trial Scout, it gave us the ability to turn quickly into saying, but how can we be of use here? And when you frame the question that way and when you embrace the, uh, the, the technology that's kind of sitting right in front of us these days with virtual platforms and with, um, with um, uh, decentralized tools, you suddenly can turn back to sponsors and say, if you have a COVID program, we'd like to be part of that. I think that, that's what anti-fragility is about. It's about this welcoming, it's, it, this acknowledgement that there is a lot of disruption and then the welcoming of that disruption to say, but where is the opportunity to grow stronger as a result of it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I read that book. <laughs> so, yeah, but that, that came out a while ago. So interesting. I'm, and I, I, I keep hearing the term uh, black swans ever since I, I read that book. I've been seeing that for many years. Um, I think so his, what, what, his original example, I'm sorry, his, his original example, he was talking about uh, Wall Street meltdowns and how every yeah. time it happens, we think that the worst Wall Street meltdown is the last one we saw. That's the worst ever, and it's never going to get worse than that. And clearly, we're all learning that, uh, that uh, volatility is accelerating everywhere in the world. Um, and uh, yeah, you're right. There are, there are, you could make a strong argument that the number of black swans is, is increasing in our modern world, and it probably has something to do with how, how interconnected all of us are. Uh, how interesting right. our economies are and, and how complicated the modern world is. Yeah, that's a great point. So um, f what is patient engagement for a site and what will it become in the future? So we keep hearing the term patient centricity and um, that seems to be a uh, uh, people are defining it different ways and, and uh, what to, what's your take on the topic? 
Yeah, I, 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 I sort of follow the cues of sort of two people who've been thinking and working in patient interest for a long time. Uh, uh, Kelly McKee over at, uh, at Vertex and Craig Lipset uh, um, have a lot to say on this, and, and both always begin the conversation by asking a person for their definition of centricity, a patient centricity. And I think that's a fair place because it isn't that we have a standard, you know, lexicon for, for what this is, but I think we're all going to have to address some pretty obvious problems. Um, I think patient engagement is, uh, has been, in the past, been treated as in, oh, well, what it means is we need to message, we need to message clearly. And so it is email push-outs to patients and, and really respectful communications that keep them in the know. So that's a, that's a push. You know, um, the data from Silicon Valley is, is not great on that. We know that, that emails don't get opened very often. They don't get responded to even when they're opened and, and engaged. You know, the learnings are limited. Um, so the next thing we saw was sort of a generation of surveys. So we'll, we'll, we'll do some surveying. And surveying is really the way to get someone engaged. Like, let's really learn from them. So that gave us the focus group. That gave us uh, patient celebrities who, who really have fantastic stories to tell. I'm good friends with most of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the ones who've really gone to that extra effort of trying to help the industry understand the patient experience. They serve an incredibly important role. Um, they do collapse the experience of many people under one person. So there's a limitation there in the information, too. And again, surveying and, and pulling information from one person, those are pulls. So, mm -hmm. you know, Silicon Valley's got a lot to say about that, too. If you think about the consumer websites like TripAdvisor, HealthGrades, Yelp, uh, Airbnb, we know that, that really what works in terms of true engagement, people having an experience where they go, uh, they go back and forth and they really stick with things, that's a two-way communication. It's almost always built around seeking somebody's input, but then sharing that input with everybody. So trust and transparency, ratings and reviews. And I think patient engagement, this is where it's going to need to go in the post-COVID area, COVID arena. I think that uh, people have had a lot of disruption. So the person who you're going to try to recruit next who's not in a trial, they have a lot of noise on their channel right now trying to figure out how to get their kids in school, what that's going to look like, what to do over the summer holidays, what does work look like now, um, is, work a, is the workplace a, a risky place to be. There's a lot going on. And so I think solving for engagement is going to be really critical in both keeping people who are in trials right now in trials, which is why I say every trial I can think of is in rescue, whether it knows it or not, because there is this unaddressed problem of how do those patients who are in these trials feel about it. Um, and then the idea of recruiting, because recruiting has gotten more complex. You have to make the case for the trial, but now you have to make the case for the participation in research as a care option when there is a lot going on in people's lives. So I think that's the next frontier here. And how can, how can this, this new style of patient engagement uh, be applied to the, your typical brick-and-mortar site tomorrow? So this will sort of nod back to that idea of helping make sites uh, anti-fragile. So, so the sites, the brick-and-mortar site really does need to embrace the idea of two-way communication with their patients because that, that we know is the one thing that, that results in, in, in deep engagement. Uh, uh, and I think the place that starts is, is online. I think that uh, if they're looking for a new patient, if they're looking to attract a patient they've had previously in a trial, I don't think that's as simple as it used to be, that you get in your CTMS, you call somebody up who's in a trial, and you offer them another trial, and they'll probably say yes. I think that, you know, uh, we see this ourselves. We're doing a lot of COVID projects right now. We helped bring um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Rutgers uh, saliva test. We helped bring that test to market uh, by doing some of the validation testing for it. Um, and we see that even in talking to COVID patients who have every reason in the world um, and actually want to help move COVID uh, therapeutics and diagnostics and vaccines forward, they're burned out. 
And they're like, you know, I just don't know if I can be in a clinical trial. I, I don't know if I have it in me right now. Um, yeah. And these aren't people who were sick and in the hospital. These are people who are COVID positive and had relatively mild cases, but they've been shaken to their core. Um, so that's true of them. And they have every reason in the world to want to, to, to advance a vaccine or a diagnostic. Um, it's true of every clinical trial patient that there's just a lot going on. And um, the, what the sites need to do is embrace every opportunity to build their brand online, to, to own that relationship. I don't think it's as much as simply a website. I think it's about all the other tools that are around there to support them as well. And then I think having that confidence that you want the patient, your patient's voice, talking to other patients about how great it is to come to your site, that's powerful stuff. I mean, that's, that's the deep structure thinking behind Trial Scout, that we think two-way conversations, ratings and reviews, patients talking to patients, that's the really cool stuff. That's where a patient can say, I know you're scared. I know you're busy. I know there's a lot going on, um, but this matters. And it was good for me. And I'm glad I did it. And I was treated with a lot of respect. And these people are really wonderful. They care about you. They care about the science. They, they care about a really great experience. That's the stuff that cuts through the noise of why would I do this? Yeah. So it's a, differently, a different kind of um, support group for people that haven't had anything happen to them yet. They're just concerned and afraid and, 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 and just reading a bunch of things and they don't know what to do next just to go on normally. How interesting. You know, it's um, well put. That, that idea of a support group is really well put. I, was, uh, I, I read a post on LinkedIn from Grace Cordovano uh, uh, yesterday night, and uh, it was, she was making the point that uh, you have all these people who are at home. Why can't we have some form of the consent process before we need a clinical trial? Uh, to put our hand up and kind of announce that we're interested. Um, and it led to a kind of a robust discussion in the comment section uh, from industry experts kind of opining on, here's what this platform does, here's what ours does, um, and, and other solutions. And so I think that's right. I think that there is a window where we're all sitting around and saying, hey, what can we do to make that support happen, to provide that yeah. support? And in, 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 the, in a consumer experience, that's called decision support, right? So that's, that's well studied. Like, how do you provide... Uh, the support somebody needs to buy something. So, you know, in, in, if you're talking about shopping for something on Amazon, people usually want two or three up to seven hits, they say, of the information before they feel comfortable saying, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And yet with something as important as clinical trials, you know, there's, there's, there's five million Americans who've been in clinical trials in the last 10 years. You know, we, we, on Trial Scout, we, had a, an, we have an outreach campaign called Find the Five because there's no visibility from one to the other in terms of what their experience was like, what they want to do and stuff. And we, you know, we want to provide that. So, and I don't mean we as in a company, I mean, we as an industry want to make sure patients can see each other. And the clinical trial patient is different than the, hey, I have lupus and I want to talk to other lupus patients. I think more broadly, what our community, what our site community really needs to focus on is how do we bring all the patients who've had these experiences in clinical trials to places where they can share what that looked like and help the next person choose it I do think that's a support group. I think that's really well put. Now, uh, before we wrap up, um, uh, would you like to tell everybody how to find out more about uh, what you all do, uh, Circuit Clinical and Trial Scout both? Sure, absolutely. Um, you can certainly come visit us online at, uh, at www.circuitclinical.com or trialscout.com um, and sort of see what's going on there. We have some interesting stuff on COVID. We're uh, working in support with uh, friends in the industry who are um, sharing information about what trial opportunities there are, where they're happening, how to engage them, that sort of stuff. But this more general information about the, the clinical trials process. And obviously, um, I, I'd love to connect with anybody who has questions or, or, or wants to share insights. Uh, my email is irfan at circuitclinical.com, and 
uh, I'm, I'm always game to have a conversation. All right. Well, thanks a lot. I know you're busy. I'll let you get back to work. Um, for everyone that uh, listened today, make sure you register for upcoming webinars and discussions that we have as part of our webinar series, our virtual summit series. We have hidden costs starting up. Uh, check out myscrs.org. Check out our learning campus, and you can see the SCRS Insight Journal. We publish that quarterly for members in the members section of our website, myscrs.org. And speaking of websites, here are two more, circuitclinical.com and trialscout.com. We appreciate everyone's participation in today's program. We look forward to having you join us for more interesting content in the future as part of the SCRS Talks program. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, Mike.